And he's on mute to start the show. Of course I'm on mute. It's on brand. Uh, it's, uh, of course, another episode of the Women's National League podcast here on Final Whistle. I'm Brefany Early. Uh, I'm getting sick of, play- of saying mute jokes about myself. But, uh, yeah, I am here uh, for another week. I'm joined again, as always, by Aaron Clark. Aaron, you're very, very welcome to the show. Good evening. Looking forward to it. My headphones are broken. My microphone won't work. Everything's a bit of a disaster today. Hopefully, we're a little bit more organised uh, with the actual content of the show. We've a great interview coming up for you later in the programme. Aaron caught up with Linda Gorman, of course, an Irish women's football legend, uh, played in that original Irish international all of fifty years ago. And we're, it's it's a bit of the rage at the moment. There's been a few events around that over the last uh, six or twelve months, but particularly over the last few weeks. And Aaron is going to be chatting to uh, Linda later in the show. I know you caught up with her recently. Does she give you that kind of gravitas of a former captain, manager, player? Uh, she misses Irish soccer, really, through the, the 1970s to the mid-80s. And Do you know what? I'm not going to lie when I say this. It's the first time I ever met her. You know, um, knew a little bit, didn't know an awful lot. Absolute starstruck. You know, I was I was nearly in awe actually talking to her. And the funny thing is, I done the interview, but I then spent about five or six minutes after the interview just talking to her in general. And you know, it was just an absolute awe. I got to spend some time with the likes of Livio too that morning as well. Like it was just, it was just one of them that it was the opportunity just to go and speak to her and just listen. You know, more than anything, and like. As, as the likes of Katie McCabe always says, they're the ones who paved the paved the way for the likes of the Sue Haydens then, for the likes of the Emma Burns, for the likes of the current generation. And it's good to see when you see how much they're loved by the current players and, and previous players gone by because like they're icons of our, of the game and without them women's football wouldn't be probably wouldn't be where it was, you know. Linda obviously managed Ireland as well. Like it's it's it was just great to spend some time. Yeah, first Irish female manager, uh, or the first female manager full stop of an Irish international team. And uh, she replaced Fran, Ro- Fran Rooney back in the early 90s, 91, 92. I think she only spent a season or two uh, in charge of the team. But back then, I think she, it was a, I saw, uh, when I was doing a bit of research for the show tonight, I saw she, she left because of uh, issues that she just thought in terms of how serious the game was taken. That kind of speaks volumes about her attitude towards the game as well. Absolutely, and I think, I think it, what's evident is is the, the the attitudes across everybody to how women's football has come on and how it, how it's come leaps and bounds. Like you just talk about even when they're remonstrating about playing the first game and stuff like that against Wales, to them then seeing the likes of Tallah Stadium being sold out, Ireland qualifying for World Cup because back then it was just a dream. And even when when things start to move on, I I, I think realistically. 2017 was probably a big moment in, in Irish football, but even off the back of getting what happened in Liberty Hall, I think there was more pressure to deliver over that more than anything. And the fact that we've been able to deliver a major competition so soon, I think, is huge. And like for players like that, I remember sp- I was speaking to Olivia O'Toole, and like she's going out to Australia, and like she's just talking about the pride of actually being involved, being around the girls, having been in Scotland with them, and when they qualify for the World Cup. But it's just the little things like that to how much. The girls who the the previous generations appreciate what the current generation are doing. Yeah, of course, we've plenty of other stuff to come up on the show as well. We're taking a look back at the last round of games played just before the international break. Feels like forever ago now. Uh, Wednesday evening games, plenty of controversy, a couple of uh, maybe questionable 
red card decision to talk about maybe later on in the show, but uh, I know the clubs have been in contact with us, or at least one of the clubs has been in contact with us very irate at the decision and, and how it went. Uh, and maybe with good reason, probably with a little bit of good reason. We'll we chat about that later in the show. But of course, those five games that did take place over the course of that um, that last Wednesday evening, just in terms of, of where they are. i uh, just trying to bring it up on screen here, but the uh, for whatever reason, my... There we go. Um, is at Lone Town one Galway United two, Bohemians three, DLR Waves nil, Piedmont United one, Shells four, Channel Growers two, Wexford Youth one, and three United and Cork City a one all draw down in the markets field. Um, Aaron, where do you want to start with those particular games? Well, I I guess we'll start with Bowes and Bowes and DLR just for the simple Brilliant. fact that I like it. It's not even that. It's for the fact that I actually predicted on on the podcast before the games it'd be the worst boring nil all draw, and then all of a sudden it was a three 0 game. Like it was a a good penalty from Sarah Rowe to, to, to open the score, and I guess we'll jump into it the the red card. So I've got a couple of opinions on it. I've spoke to people. I understand where DLR are coming from. The referees in in a good position. For me. Anybody who's saying, you look at this camera footage, look at this, the video footage, I hate to say it, LOI TV for when they're using the cameras like that and you zoom in, the footage is poor to make a decision off that. Three, if, she's, if she has made contact, to give her a three-game ban is extremely harsh in a 20-game season. Um, I can understand exactly why DLR are right. Um, I can't make my mind up conclusively off the back of that video. Like The two of them come together. It's probably probably a little bit of nothing. Eric Erica goes down. Like I'd like to see. I'd like to ask a neutral who was in the ground to actually what they'd seen because the camera footage is poor. And I think DLR, if the referee's seen it and given it because he's seen it, okay that he's seen it. But I think it's a tough one. Is it really? I disagree completely. I I, I saw the footage back. I don't think it's that unclear. Uh, it's not like they're two just shapes. You can see what's going on. I think, I think Erica got away with one. I think, I, she, uh, I it, think she got is, away with one. See, the thing is, I'm hearing different things here. I'm hearing that it's for grabbing the neck, and then I'm hearing for it's potentially throwing a punch. I'm hearing two different. Well, I didn't two, see either. I didn't see either of those two things in that particular clash when she went down. I think there was she, a she, listen, she, listen. She goes. There's no doubt about it. She goes down easy. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. There's, that's you know what I mean. But the referee is so close to it. Like I'd love to know what he's actually seen for him to, or has he got a communication? Because the footage doesn't tell me that she's actually done something malicious. Oh, I'm not saying anything malicious has happened on mm. either side from from either player. I don't think Isabel Finnegan deserved the red card. I don't think necessarily um, Erica Burke deserved to be punished or anything like that for what happened. I think she took a little bit of a uh, an easy out to maybe see if she could win something. Probably didn't expect a red card to be issued for what happened, but it's transpired the way it did. I, I don't know. Do referees get an easy time? Do they deserve 100% protection? Like, if you go out to your job and you make a hames or something, you get a dressing down for it, albeit in, in private. So, Should a referee have complete and utter control? Do they need to have complete and utter control? Or then does it descend into chaos where every single thing they do is questioned at a later date with the hindsight of video footage. So I have a couple of, of responses to, response to this. There's assessors at every game. 
I've spoke to one or two at games this season. I actually questioned one or two decisions at a different game, but from a, an assessor just to understand why a player was booked, then the referee rescinded it because it looked as though he, he got the wrong person. He didn't know who it was. For me, I don't know what the appeals process is. It said it went to an independent person. What was happened? Was there a hearing? Was the player actually called upon? Did they just say, oh, we looked at the footage and we decided that there's no clear evidence to overturn it? Like, we seen there was two instances. There was one in the in the men's Premier Division as well with Robbie Benson as well. Like that's cost the LR waves quite a, a substantial amount of money as well to have that appeal. Is there a little bit of a little bit of tension slash back blood between Izzy and Izzy and Bowes the way it, it finished? Maybe did that play into it? I don't know. But for me, I've spoke to people on I spoke to people on both sides. It's it's a tough it's a tough one for the fact that yes, she goes down quite e- quite easy. But like I feel for Izzy as well in the, in that situation. She's gonna miss three games in a twenty game season. It's, it's a bit harsh. Um, I do think I, I know nobody from the club was called in, at least from DLR side, of, uh, to actually put a case forward. It was all done via whatever the written proposal was. Um, listen, it's it's one we could argue all evening. We're probably not going to agree on it. And I think the same way, neither club are going to agree on it. Neither side, neither set of supporters are going to agree on it. It is what it is. It's harsh. That's all mm-hmm. I'd say on, on that as we move forward. In terms of the actual game, though, uh, the way things worked out, uh, Erica Burke scores literally minutes later, celebrates, maybe a little bit over the top on that as well. I don't want to be going in on Erica, but it was just, I think that probably irritated the opposition more than the actual incident. Yeah, we've seen but we've seen that many a times where an incident happens and then straight away the first thing, prime example being Pearl Slattery when when there's an incident on the touchline, Shells and Shells are playing P Mount a couple of, uh, a couple of years ago, James O'Callaghan and uh, No King gets sent off. Shells go up and score a ninety four minute winner through Pearl uh, through Noel Murray and Pearl Slattery runs to the runs to the to celebrate right in front of the female bench. We've seen these sort of things. Emotions emotions were were definitely high at, at the time. But like I think for Erica it's probably a bit of a relief as well. She's had a bit of a, a tough off season picking up a picking up a knock just before the season started and missing the first couple of games. So like yeah, emotions ran ran really high. Um I think from it from there from her point of view it's it's one that you you look back on and probably didn't need to do it. Yeah. As well it's drama like this that builds profile of leagues and players and clubs. So I say keep it coming. If we're talking about the league, it's not necessarily a bad thing, albeit mm-hmm. other people may not have the same opinion on the outcome of it. Uh, in terms of that, Kira Bates Crosby did complete the score and with a third goal, uh, 20 minutes of time to give Bose a 3 0 victory. Um, is this advantage Bose now? Can we see kind of the established clubs, the established League of Ireland clubs starting to kind of come in and really push their, their women's sides on as well? with with resources and support and, and that sort of stuff, or am I reading too much into it? I think Bowles have found it difficult. They've tried to put a lot of resources into it and probably found it difficult to recruit the types of players that they've wanted to get. They've they've probably been, you know, there's no doubt they've been after all the, all the top players who've come. They've just found that a little bit difficult to, to break the, the stranglehold. Shamrock Rovers coming in, obviously had a had a big pitch, got got the big got ne- nearly everybody they wanted, bar one or two. So for Bowes, it's, it's been they haven't had the luck or the the the, the, the rub of the green in terms of getting the players they wanted. Like yes, they've got some quality players there, but they're probably still a little bit off the off the teams, and it's going to take a little bit more time for them to to probably close that gap. I'd still think that they'll make an improvement on this season, but it's still going to be difficult for them to to push on to the, to the other clubs who are there and who've been established in the league. 
They still sit fourth place though after five games. So uh, plenty to see from Dalymount over the next couple of weeks and months. Piedmont United and Shells. Uh, it looked like it was going to be Piedmont. They laid 1-0 for most of the early exchanges. But whatever Noel King said in the dressing room at halftime, a different Shelburne came out. Uh, they just blew the piece away in the second half. 4-1 the final score. Uh, are you reading that much into that game at this early stage? Is it about the Shells? Problem is, is Shell's gonna need to back it up and get a result or two off the back of off the back of it. I think for Shell's the fact that you look at they get the, the draw against Galway the draw against Roberts, then they lose to Galway. You're sort of thinking that this is a one of these, if it doesn't go their way, it can be a slippery slope. There was a lot of talk, will Pearl play? Will she not play? Obviously, Pearl plays Pearl plays through any will play through the pain. But like even when it's one 0 you're sort of thinking, oh, it's gonna go it's not gonna go Shell's way, then Karen Duggan sort of gives possession away for the for the first goal, Megan Smith Lynch, and then the sort of floodgates just open with a couple of quick goals and succession. You sort of looking then at that stage, thinking, "Wow, what's going on here?" It's have the have the have payment just fall, fallen asleep. But I think you got to give Shelburne an awful lot of credit. I think probably whatever Noel said or whatever the leadership group in the, in the dressing room said at halftime, it definitely worked. I think Alex Cabinet's free kick was 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 a nice goal as well. And like even to see even to see Maggie Pierce popping up on the on the score sheet as well. It's sort of one of them that you're like. Didn't expect to be a 4-1. I thought it'd be a close game, maybe a 1-0, 2-1 either there. I didn't think it'd be a 4-1 game, though. If we saw more of that from Shells, can they go on and win the third title in a row? If they can yeah. that form? Yeah, but the problem is, is they have to continue that form. They, they've dropped. They've, they've they've dropped two results already. They've got big games. Big games are going to come ticking fast. They'll have Wexford soon enough. There's a lot of games. I think there's 12 or 13 games before... The international break for the World Cup, so you're only going to really have seven eight, seven games after the World Cup. So the bulk of the football is going to be played beforehand. And I think for Shells, if they can get on a run, I think the biggest thing in this league is when you look at we we'll look at it later with the table is the fact that the narrowness between the top five sides and then Wexford are a little bit behind, but Wexford have the games in hand. So it's it's sort of a case that the teams have the points on, on the board, but Wexford have the game, and it's. It's it's nobody really running away. Everybody's beating everybody, and it's a, it's the case for whoever gets the for, whoever gets on a run of four, five, six wins in a row is really going to put a could put a bit of daylight between themselves and the rest of the teams. Bear in mind, no one's beaten Shamrock Rovers just yet in the league nope. this year. But you're right. If Wexford were to pick up those two games, two wins in those two outstanding games, they'd be also twelve points. So three points effectively separating the top six teams in the league from a neutral's point of view. How important was it that Shells? kept Pima back in with the rest of the group and and kept it nice and tight so that we're going to have some excitement in the league this year. Yes and no. Uh, from 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 the other side of it is if Pima had a won and created a bit of a gap, I think people would have just start talking about Pima then. Because nobody's really talked about them in the first in the first games. Everybody's talked about what Rovers are doing, Shells, the players could have come in, Rihanna, Jared, and Emily going to, to Wexford. Nobody really talked about P Mount. So I think it still would have had quite a buzz. But listen, the fact that you've got you've got five teams within that within that gap, let's just include Wexford for the fact that the game's in hand. The six teams that are there, they're all capable of beating everybody. And I think that's that's that it from a neutral point of view, that's probably even more important that you know that it that it that is, and like you look at the game, the game during the mid, the midweek. The only real game that was was let's call it a shutout was probably Bowes and DLR. Whereas the Shells Piedmont game for a long time, you were think you were thinking it was on it was on the edge up until up until Shell scored three quick goals. So like the the, the whole in, in general week was 
midweek fixtures was wasn't trawling and probably had a lot of neutrals who would have been really interested. Absolutely. In terms of the other three games, uh, we might go to Tala next. Uh, Shamrock Rovers, Wexford Utes, a really good game. Two top sides. Rovers just seem to have that little bit of extra class and uh, came out with a 2 1 win in the end. Disappointing for Wexford to, uh, to drop points in that particular game. Uh, some, some cracking goals. Yeah. Yeah. Let's that, like. Let's be honest, though. They had chances. They had chances. Like you look at the Rihanna Jarrett one, where she turns on, she turns on the swivel in, in the in the in the first half, and just Amanda Budden makes a save, then makes another quick save straight after. But like Jess Gargan's goal, the, the funny thing is Jess plays plays the initial pass, then continues her run on, and as the ball's played out wide, and Jess just creeps into the into the into the box, and nobody near her, an absolute superb header. Maeve Russell when she scores, then for. For Wexford Utes, it was it was one of them. Sort of, I hate to say this, but it was one of them when she struck it. You thought this is in. Amanda just looked at at six and sevens, and then when when Rovers go and get the winner, it's hard to say that Rovers didn't deserve it. The funny thing is, I spoke to Collie after the game, and I asked like, "You must be happy." He's like, "No, I'm disappointed. He was disappointed with the performance of his side. Yet they've just gone and beaten Wexford, who were who were a top team in the league. I think from a Wexford point of view, the biggest problem was is the, the partnership of Emily and. Emily and Rihanna just didn't really click. They tried to go everything through Rihanna and it just didn't work. And there was no real plan B, plan B from just kept going and going at that. And I think for their point of view, the fact that they the the, the, the boy week and then the court game call off didn't really didn't really help them because they, they were going into a game against Shamrock Rovers having only played two games, having a having a having a gap as having a gap as well. And it's it's never easy. So I think from a Wexford point of view, you could you could definitely see they weren't they weren't as sharp as they would have liked to be. Yes, they've done all the training, but I think a lot of credit has to go to Shamrock Rovers. I thought they, they were very very good on the night, and I think you know they, it's a sign for the fact that they, they played shells, got the point against shells, then going to go and beat Wexford. It's just uh, it's it's just, it's just building nicely for Colley O'Neill at the minute. Absolutely, of course they uh, travelled the Galway this weekend. We'll talk about the next round of games at the end of the show. But the other two games played over the weekend. Speaking of Galway. They made the short trip to Athlone. They know each other really, really well. Uh, there's a lot of players who kind of jumped between one or other and back over the last few years. They all played together. A lot of them played together, whether in Athlone or TUS, the Technical University of the Shannon, or in University of Galway. All these third-level institutions keep changing the name. It's so hard to keep up. So you have TUS, Athlone, and uh, University of Galway. These girls, they play each- with each other during the week, and then they go and play against each other. But at the weekend... Um, Galway were the ones that, that came out on top and they'll be quite happy with that I think uh, probably the expectation was that Lone would come out of this with the, the stronger side with two early goals Jamie Erickson and Abby Callanan uh, one pullback by Dana Sharif it's great to see her back in action back in the pitch back scoring goals uh, but at Lone we talked a little bit are they was last year a flash in the pan do they have the quality to survive will they um, miss uh, the likes of Jessica Hennessy, who's moved to Shamrock Rovers, Emily Corbin, who's gone to Wexford. Um, are they too big a loss for them to, to cope with going into this season? I'm going to say something that's going to be a little bit controversial here. But oh, we love if Athlone don't get their act together here, don't be surprised if somebody just goes and throws the book at Maddie Gibson during the summer and pulls her away from Athlone. Because teams are going to cry out for a striker in the second half of the season to help them finish the finish the campaign off. And I think Athlone, the way they're going at the minute, they could lose her, but you're right. It's it's difficult because they, they seem to be 
struggling to get back to that bit the momentum that they had last year. Like you look at they went on the run where it was six unbeaten, then they lose to Wexford, then they won another run of seven unbeaten. Whereas this year they've they struggled for momentum, they struggle for consistency. The nil all draw with DLR Waves sort of just showed where they were at that stage, especially considering DLR Waves are coming into it with a with near enough near enough a brand new side. I think from a Galway point of view, we spoke about this before the the break that this was a massive game for Galway to see if they could actually back up the Shelburne result. And I think that was probably the most impressive bit is the fact that they went then four days later after beating Shelburne and backed it up with another big win against a big win against Athlone. I think Abby Carolan for me last year last year was probably a disappointing season for sat out a lot of football with the leaving cert and stuff like that. But smashing football you see you only have to see what she's done on the final day of the season a couple of years ago against P-Mount up in P-Mount where she she dinked the ball over Neve Bork from close range Ireland under 19 international has been brilliant for them Jamie Erickson ever, consi- ever consistent for them and you're right what you say about Dina Sharif it's great to see her back on the field from an athlon point of view when she got injured last year would it would have been a big loss and someone who they looked looked to this year to, to provide a bit of leadership as well for them like it's it's gonna be a difficult time for Athlone this week. Obviously, they're they're they have another big big game live on TG Car. So how do how do they flip the how do they flip the script a little bit? It's gonna be difficult because at the moment you don't see them building momentum or or, or picking up picking up many results at the minute. Jessica Hennessy was probably a big lot was a big loss and Melissa O'Kane as well coming out to Rovers as well. Emily Carver, like we spoke about, Emily second half of the season probably didn't score as many goals as she did in the first half. But it's it's I don't know it's a it's a it's a difficult one to put a finger on. But at the minute, I'd say Tommy Ewell is probably dis- extremely disappointed with the start of the season that he has had. I imagine so. They're currently in seventh place. Take a look at the league table when we do get through all the games. But Athlone needs to change something because it's not going in a great direction for them at the moment. At uh, the final game, Trivia and Cork, not a whole pile expected here. But I think we saw a really, really good, solid performance for two teams uh, finally competing with teams at their own level. Um, Cork, they've been kind of on the back foot for a while. Treaty, we've talked about them before, having, I think, 46 games without a victory. Um, neither team will be overly happy to have not won the game, but I suppose make a nice change not to have lost it either. Cork, of course, took the lead for the break. Laura Shine, who's been away with the under-19s in the last few weeks. Uh, Kira Kilby, uh, getting on the score sheet uh, through the second half to level matters and give both sides a, po- a share of points. Are we seeing these two sides kind of getting to find their groove now at this stage against each other at least? I think from a from an Alvin Heuss side of t- point of things, I think Alvin be slightly happier of the two for the fact that they go one 0 down and they, they bounce back and show the good character. It's just like the the Sligo game where they come from behind to get the win. I think in terms of that, you'd have to be happy from a core point of view. Like it's it's the first point they picked up of the season. Yes, they broke the, they broke the duck a little bit, but it's it's a difficult one because. I think we expected a bit more from Cork just because of the fact that Danny Murphy had his first preseason with the player. He was able to bring in a couple of players that he wanted, and it just hasn't really it just hasn't really worked. Like we, yes, we've seen two teams probably playing at the same level to each other and can pick uh, producing a game as to what we'd probably expect. And I think in terms of that, you'd have probably said a draw probably would have been the most likely re- likely result considering the for- considering the way the two teams have gone. But it's it's difficult because. It's hard for the two teams, and I don't mean to be, be to be disrespectful here, but it's hard for the two teams to look up, especially with what's around them. Yes, they're going to be in a battle with the likes of Sligo Rovers. Potentially, maybe DLR might be in there or just or, or a little bit above them, but 
it's going to be difficult for them to pick up results against the teams the teams above above them in the top six, top seven. So it's 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 one of them that against each other they're the sort of games. Yes, this season you'll probably ju- you'll probably judge them on, but I don't really expect to see either side pick up a, pick up an awful lot of points this season. Yeah, I think I tend to agree with you there. I think those three sides you mentioned will be probably uh, barren an, an unbelievable recovery and an improvement in in the fortunes. Uh, most likely to be the bottom three sides coming into the middle uh, to end of the season. In terms of the actual rundown of the results, we did have them up earlier in the show. But these are what we're looking at. Athlone Town 1, Galway United 2, Bowes 3, DLR Waves nil in Daily Mount on Saturday evening. Piemont United 1, Shells 4, uh, Shamrock Rovers and Wexford Youths. Uh, Shamrock Rovers 2-1 winners in that game, while Treaty and Cork, as we've just spoken about, uh, they were level in their particular clash uh, on the last round of games. It feels like forever ago now. Uh, but let's look at the league table and where that leaves us. Uh, P-Mount clear at the top, despite the defeat to Shells, 12 points from their opening five games, while Shells and Shamrock Rovers on 10 points. Uh, Rovers with that game in hand, of course, which may prove very important over the coming weeks. Bowes and Galway on nine, uh, while Wexford Utes on six with two, two games in hand. Uh, they'll be more than happy to claw back in the leaders over the next couple of weeks. Athlone, Dealer and Treaty all on four points with Cork City on one after that draw in the Marcus Field. And Sligo Rovers still to get off the mark. More worrying for Cork, is it the fact that it might be their first point, Aaron, also their first goal? Yeah, that's probably that's probably the more concerning things. Like you look at the the games previously, they've struggled to, to really create it. I think from them, like the Galway game is probably one that's going to sit with them in, in terms of disappointment for the fact of how late they conceded the the goal and to lose one nil in that one. But like even even against the likes of DLR Waves, three 0 down after three 0 down early on, sort of chase chasing the game, then your game plan goes out the window nearly. And I think yeah, it's it's definitely difficult. That it's definitely been a difficult start with the fir- with the first goal of the season. Yeah, it probably gets a bit of a, mon- a monkey off the back. But as we'll when we speak about the fixtures, it's going to be difficult for them to see them scoring again this weekend, unfortunately. And yeah, winning winning becomes a habit. So the scoring goals, and if you're struggling to do both of them, confidence will go down. Confidence will go down. What does what does Danny change? Is the, is the problem? Is the question? Yeah, absolutely. We do. Face uh, the visiting Piedmont United side this weekend down in Turners Cross. But let's take a quick look at some people who've had no problem finding the back of the net in recent games. Uh, Jesse Stapleton, top of the division, alongside her teammate Megan Smith Lynch, both with four goals from their opening five games. Kate Mooney on three, alongside Anya Gorman, Maddie Gibson, who we've talked about, and Jamie Thompson, who've impressed uh, in recent weeks. And then a, a scatter of players on two goals Karen Duggan, Sarah Rowe. Erin McLaughlin, Jenna Slattery, Becky Watkins, Chloe Singleton and Kayla Hamrick. Some of them uh, that we've mentioned in action for Ireland in recent weeks. We'll talk about the international scene in just a couple of moments before we take a look at the players. Uh, also responsible for keeping the ball out of the back of the net, uh, Rachel Kelly moved clear with her. The only clean sheet of that round of games uh, for Bohemians. She's now got three shutouts in her opening five games in what's been a fine season for both her and her team. Courtney McGuire, Eve Badana and Neve Reed burke have you noticed something? Oh, now this could be anything. I don't know. If you if you go back to the league table for a second, right? So Rachel Kelly has three clean sheets. Okay. The three games that Rachel Kelly's keep a clean sheet in, both have won the games. Anytime they've conceded, anytime she's conceded, they've they've lost. So they've always won to nil when she's won game when they've won games this season. Interesting. Interesting. 
Mm. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. Amanda Budden, one clean sheet so far. Maeve Williams, Abigail Ronane, Nyla Peterkin, Kira Glacken, both from Athlone, one score, one clean sheet each. Uh, while Neve Coombs, formerly of Athlone, now with Piemont, she has uh, another clean sheet. So Piemont have kept three clean sheets in their opening five games as well. Uh, that's kind of the, the stats up to now, where we are at the moment. But I suppose it would be remiss of us not to talk about the international scene over the last couple of days and weeks. We've seen both the 19s and the senior side in action. The senior side, of course, had two games against the USA. Uh, formerly a formidable opponent. I think we've kind of done fairly well over the last two games to kind of showcase how far we've come, albeit maybe with the United States dropping standards just a little bit in the grand scheme of things. Not quite as dominant as they once were at world level. Do you know what the funny thing is? You, normally you go into these sort of games and you think... If you lose three 0 in one game, you lose three 0 in the other game, you'd be happy. But the funny thing is, the three goals that Ireland conceded—they're all preventable. That's the funny thing about it. They're all mistakes that have been that have been happened. That happened. The first goal, they don't they don't close her down, and Marissa Severs just stands off her, and probably Courtney McGuire, uh, Courtney Brosnan's position, and she probably won't be. T- she probably thinks she could have been a little bit further to the right, but it was put right into the corner. The second one, the penalty for me—it's a penalty all day long. I think she Dan Caldwell, when you grab her around the neck, you sort of you can't really ask many many questions of her and Courtney got a hand to it again and then like even even last even last night that the goal that Courtney she thought it was going to be a, a coming for a cross and then sort of got a bit stuck and it bounced it bounced over but like there's a lot of positives to take I think Denise Sullivan reaching 100 caps is a massive milestone especially at 27 28 she's going to be there for another couple of years to come I like the fact that the FAI actually had her lead out the team and, and captain the team on, on Saturday I, I like that that was something that we spoke about a little bit in the, in the build up we had, we had a chance to speak to her before that game just to, and they were they were the talk was it's it's normally when you go chat about an America game it's daunting but they were talking about what they need to do and what, what Ireland needs to do like and I think the biggest thing for me is the fact that the progression from the from the China game is massive the China game we couldn't we couldn't string two passes three passes together like and it was poor and it was it was a Karen Duggan was right to call it out in the Irish Times column to say, listen, if we do if we do that, we we're gonna we're screwed. Like you look at the, the fullbacks getting forward. I thought Heather Payne and, and Katie McCabe done very well. Sinead Far Sinead Farley playing her for first game at international level, having just come out of retirement and joined uh, Gotham. It was a, a bit of a surprise to a lot of people, but I thought she was very good in the first game. <laughs> I thought yesterday. Ireland, Ireland were, were decent were decent again. First half intensity was very good. Lots of improvements, I think. Lots to build on as well, especially heading into the World Cup. Talk me through some of the new faces in the squad. And um, first of all, what's your thoughts on new faces appearing in the squad at this time, particularly girls who wouldn't have been in the reckoning during the qualification process, girls who didn't have a passport, girls who weren't eligible or didn't make themselves available until we got to a World Cup. Do you have a particular thought process on whether we should take who we can get or do you think that there should be some loyalty shown maybe to the girls who got us there it's difficult because like me and you we have a lot of loyalty towards players who've been in and around the league yes you want to see Ireland do well you want to see Ireland put the best foot forward on, on the World Cup but at the same stage like one or two may have declared, potentially declared, if there was pass, there was passport issues, might have done previously. Ethan Mannion's coming back from the ACL. Sinead Farley is the, is, is the strange one with the with the fact that she hadn't played in seven years up until recently, coming on in a, for twenty minutes in a in a NWSL game. Like it's it's difficult, Brefney. You don't want to say 
no, good luck, see you later. You like because really we all want to see Ireland do well, but like five or six of them coming in, feel sorry if you want Deborah Delarf who come in for the games in the game against China and then out of the squad again. Like it's it's tough. It's it's about finding a balance and a balance and act like you've probably seen on social media the Sophie Whitehouse coming in. I was probably saying it was I felt very harsh on Nisha McAloon because Nisha McAloon hadn't put a foot wrong with Durham. It's been going very well in the same league as Sophie and like things like that. Like for me, if the player's better than what we have, you're gonna you're gonna want to bring them in. But if they're on par or they're just they're just at a level, it's a difficult decision. I think for Vera she's got she's got a a tightrope to to marshal in this in this sort of instance. Like I don't envy Vera Tom the, the the squad, the management squad picking twenty three players to head to Australia because I've struggled. There's no doubt that we'll have a podcast or two beforehand where we're going through who we think may be in, who we think may not be in. Like I don't know where they're going to pick these these this, this twenty three from. The other the other thing you got to say is yes, there hasn't been there's been players that come in since it, but there's also been a lot of revolving doors throughout the campaign as well. There's been players who've been injured, been out, been in, so. It's it's not a case that we've ever had a settled twenty three. We've always had three, four, five, six changes in the squad each time. So, like it's it's difficult. I want to see Ireland do well. It, are the players all going to be there after World Cup? You'd like you'd like to think so, but I don't I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm on the fence on this one. I know we had a discussion about Heather O'Reilly signing last year. And- we, we differed on that. I think we'll differ on this one again. I think it's about loyalty. I think it has to be about loyalty. If you want to really grow the game, um, I think the chances of us, even with the new players, of progressing out of the group are are distant. I think we can... I think we'll be there, thereabouts, but I don't think we'll get out of the group, if I'm honest, with the best players on the pitch. But I think you need to create that atmosphere for girls uh, coming through our clubs, coming through our leagues, coming through the National League, to really believe that they have a pathway to a green jersey. And everybody coming up to now has had that. And they've seen the girls push on. And I think it needs to be, uh, I really do think it needs to be about developing the game in the country. And if we have to almost sacrifice uh, an, an, an incoming player or two of higher quality, then I think we have to do that. I think the idea um, that we can just parachute players in um, at this stage that who could have been involved but chose not to. Uh, the likes of Taro Hanlon, who made her debut and got a second cap again last night. I think that's a great young player coming up. Uh, Jesse Stapleton, similar. Alan, Alana McAvoy is in the squad. She would have been available had she been selected previously. So there is... Uh, the players who have been available or, or in the shape for selection, I think they, sh- they should be considered. But I do have a problem with certain players coming in. I think you're right. Coming out of retirement after seven years uh, for Sinead Farrelly, it's a stretch. Coming out, coming back to the game after three or four years away from Sarah Rowe's point of view, I know that is coming from different sources, not necessarily from from the FAI, but that's a bit of a stretch, I think, as well in terms of her coming in. If she blows the women's national league out of the or the league of women out of the water, so be it. But I think at the moment uh, it's a stretch. Sophie White, as you mentioned, although I have been impressed with a couple of players and, and the ones who've come in. Ethan Manning, I know, has been involved in the squad before or has been in consideration before. She got injured. That's a different kettle of fish. Uh, Marissa Shiva, I like her. I really like what she brings. She brings a bit of industry. She was quite a bit, a bit cold for one of the goals the other night. She could, should have closed down um, the, the goal scorer earlier on in the in the game. I think I can't remember off the top of my head who it was. It was, um, was it Emily Fox? No, uh, Lindsay Horn did it. Like. 
She just didn't close it down enough. For the goal, Fox, Fox scored the Fox, first goal. Yeah, Fox. Great finish from Fox, but could she have had closed that down? Possibly. You know, um, was she a little bit naive? Yeah. But she's only in her third cap, maybe, for Ireland. So we've got to be realistic about what players can bring, but I just, I don't know. I'm, I am I would prefer to see loyalty rewarded over... An appearance at a World Cup. Well, I'm, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip this a little bit. So, what's loyalty to what's loyalty to players who who've got her there? Because realistically, of the players who've been in the squad, there's probably six or seven of them because of players who've been in and out because of injuries and stuff like that who've played bit parts in it that may also miss out. That's the thing. Like, it's. I think I really think she's gonna be cut out there and and go with her, go with her best, our best twenty, our best twenty three and. She's met. She's sort of given the indication that she is looking at at, at results in, in terms of the World Cup. So that's what we'd expect. But the pop, the thing is, you're looking at in terms of a national league. How many national league players are going to go to the World Cup? You might see realistically, you could get two, you could get three, you could get one. We don't. That's the problem. We don't know yet. Like you're looking at just players to still have to come back in. Megan Campbell missed the missed the trip. Leanne Kernan is close is close to coming back. There's a couple of others who who are have been missing. Like. Even players like Roman McLaughlin coming in has been in and out. Neil Farrelly hasn't really got much of a look in. So I think the problem is, is until we see the long list for FIFA that comes in around May, June, that's when we'll start to get an idea of the, what she's what she's looking at. Because I think I think we could see there's a lot of football to be played. There's a lot of, like we talked about Sinead Farrelly. I thought Sinead was very good in what she did play against in the first game. But can she play multiple games in, in a week? Will our body hold up? These are so many of these questions that we still have to have to find out. And I think even even up until you look at the two home games that we have against Zambia and France, like the Zambia game, I think is the twenty sixth of June, if I'm not mistaken, or in and around that period. The French game is the seventh, the sixth of July. The squad is then announced on the seventh of July. So there's going to be even gaps there. We don't know what's going to happen. There's still going to be potential changes between them, and like there's so much to so much to keep an eye on in terms of the squad because realistically now just because you were named in the squad now doesn't necessarily mean you may make a look at Deborah Dana Harvest the prime example. hundred percent. Well listen, one person who definitely won't be in the squad uh, for Australia but deserves all the recognition that's going to come uh, with her award of a cap, a celebratory cap at the weekend for every single um player who's played for Ireland, I think it's, it's a phenomenal uh, acknowledgement by the FAI of every player who's ever represented uh, us in the green jersey uh, for the women over the last 50 years. You caught up at the announcement of that a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago, with uh, Linda Gorman, played for Ireland in that opening game, first win at home, first win away, and you go through everything. Uh, we talked about it at the top of the show, maybe let's hear from, from your chat with Linda now. Here by Linda Gorman. Linda, we're here today for the 50th year anniversary of the women's football. Great initiative from the FAI to bring past them present players in and give them recognition for their service for the Irish women's national team. Absolutely. All the more sweeter because I was there for the first game in 1973, away to Wales, which we won, and also the first home game away to Northern Ireland in 1973, which we also won. So this is a momentous day for past international players. 
because we would never have gotten a cap. I certainly haven't gotten a cap for the number of times I've played. And um, so this is, means so much to so many of us. Once this initiative reaches the media, I can tell you the FAI are going to be inundated with requests because this is such a special thing. I think one thing we're seeing now is, especially off the back of the women's football for the World Cup, they're trying to make a, a bigger legacy in, women, in women's football now by bringing things like this, bringing initiatives in, launching more programs and stuff like that. It's great to see because it's not just about the current players; it's about the people who've got us there, the people who started the journey as well. Well, we are the trailblazers. So there's no doubt about that. Um, and we played for the love of the game. We didn't have the facilities that they have now. Nevertheless, the Irish team, current Irish team, have taken us to the, the highest we can go to a World Cup. And not only that, we're actually going to be playing in the first game. So, yeah, we're all thrilled. For you personally, having captain and manager, manage your country, like, it's one of the proudest honours in the FAI Hall of Fame. Like, You'll go down as one of the one of the, the icons of women's football, especially considering where we were, where, where how it started, and you know as you talk about the first game, the victory against Wales, the victory against Northern Ireland. Like for you, what does it mean though to see women, the women's game where it is now? Well, the, the most amazing thing that has happened is the fact that the women can now have a career in football, which was unheard of in my day. It does no comparison to the way I played. Nevertheless, I wouldn't change things because we were trailblazers and we are where we are now. Again, for the courage of Emma Bourne and the girls in 2017, and the fact that the FAI jumped on it and made such changes, has reaped its rewards with Vera Pell getting the girls to the World Cup, which in five years is amazing. It is like I was. I remember being at the first game after the, the protest in, in Liberty Hall in, in Tallah Stadium, and you could see there was a bit of a dreary atmosphere just because people didn't know what to expect and stuff like that. But that was probably, as you say, it was a pinnacle moment in, in women's football. Probably could, should have happened earlier, but nonetheless, the strides we made since the programs you can see even the other day, the FA and Fingal County Camp launching a female-only transition year fitness and football course as well. Like, so we're now catering for, not just the elite, we're, we're trying to cater for all masses of women as well. And, and it's, that's very evident in League of Ireland clubs who have schoolgirl sides and the, the, progre the progression from the young age into the teenage years and also be able to make the international sides, hopefully, for all these girls. The amount of girls that are playing football as a result of what you've just said it's, it's just, it's countless, countless. So when we go back to when I, when I played, where we didn't have what the girls have now, wouldn't change that. But the, what's happened now with the girls, it can only go forward. We can't go backwards now after this. We can't, after the World Cup, put a stop on it. Because even though this initiative and the fact that the girls have highlighted things before, I play football with the men now still, and they can't believe the conditions, the girls. But when I say to them, listen, that was then, this is now, the FAI have done a 360, and the girls have done them proud by qualifying for the World Cup. In terms of, like you, you mentioned a bit about your, you being a trailblazer, like you probably don't think of it now the way Katie McKay and Denise O'Sullivan are doing that, but you also inspired a lot of people to take the, the next generation after you to come and play women's football, and I think that's probably helped. Yes, we've made small steps as the years gone by, but people like yourself, without the likes of you, we probably wouldn't be here even to where we are now. Well, it, it was not just me. I can't speak for myself because it's a team sport, and the rewards that I got, um, 
were just again as part of the team sport. I'm passionate about the game. I love the game. I'm affected by the game, not just the girls, the men. And um, I know what's required to play at the level that you need to play to win stuff. It's it's all my comrades. This will allow us to connect with all the players that passed. And even the players who have passed away, like Tina Jones and Mary Raymond and Debray and McLaughlin, you know, these will memorialise all of us. And the FAI have made this fantastic initiative as such a good gesture that it will it will dispel any negative feelings that we ever had about the FAI. And I have to say, fair play to Gareth, Gareth Marr. He's pushed this and pushed this, and he has. Behind the scenes, put in so much work to get this camp for us today. I'm on echo. I'll echo them settings because obviously working with Gareth the last couple of years with the with the media stuff outside for the women, covering women, and like he's constantly pushing for more and more for the women. The, the access you see the media are here today, but just in terms of the current squad, as you say, World Cups on the horizon, Oakland Day in Sydney. What a momentous opportunity! The last campaign, it was such a it was a whirlwind because once the momentum got going. It was just game after game and it grew and grew and grew. Massive crowds in Tallah Stadium. Talk to you about just the World Cup this year and what it's going to feel like when we're in the kickoff against Australia. Listen, I have friends who have relations in Australia and I can tell you they have their tickets paid for for every single game. The buzz over there is much more than it is over here at the moment because that's all they're talking about is the women's, the women's football. But for us to have the opening game will memorialise us in the annals of um, World Cup history. We are in the tough group, but we're Irish, we're fighters, that's what we are. And we'll have the support of Australians who a lot of them would have Irish backgrounds. Garrett has moved us forward in a, in a subtle way that has allowed past and present players to merge. The likes of Katie McCabe, who I've met, has recognised that because of us, they've been able to get where they, they are now. But it's a different world. It's time to move forward now. What's happened today is, is for us now, will wipe out what's happened before. And it's time to get behind the Irish players. The whole country is going to be behind the Irish players. They play football, as I said. The men talk about the women. They know all the girls' names. They know what clubs they played for. They know what times the games are over the weekends. I mean, when you talk about competition, we had the rugby, love rugby. We had the rugby playing against South Africa. Nobody gave them a chance. We wiped them out. So don't don't knock the Irish, and certainly don't knock the Irish women. Well, like if you think about the fact that the game was supposed to be in a forty-five thousand seat stadium, and it sold out, it, it, the tickets went that fast that they had to move it to the, the stadium where the final was going to be played, which is an eighty-five thousand seater. And when they put the next batch of tickets on sale, they sold it in forty minutes again, which is another testament because everybody wants to see Ireland, Ireland, the Ireland game in the World Cup. I think we're in the within the top ten ticket sales for the World Cup, like for a small nation. That's a measure. The FIFA wouldn't do that for the men. FIFA wouldn't have done that for the men. That's the popularity of the game and the fact that it's Ireland that's playing. A team in a group who 
for all intents and purposes, may look the weaker team, you know, and, and, and it's not like an underdog for people to get behind, and particularly Irish people. Crowds in Australia, they're going to be supporting us, you know, and I know it's Australia we're playing against. And it wouldn't surprise me if a few of the girls, like, on the Australian team, you know, were a bit in awe. They certainly will be in awe of some of our players. We nearly had one or two, and Mary, Mary Fowler in particular yeah, it was, it was close yeah, to yeah, coming yeah. to play for just didn't, yeah, we just didn't get yeah. it over. But it, it's great and because we're all talking, we're talking positive. Everything's positive. Like that's, I think that's the best, the best bit about women's football. You know, everything's positive. The national league at home is, is brilliant. It's, it's, it's on the rise. The international team constantly on the rise. Moving up to our highest world rank. Everything's just positive, and that's, I think that's the best way to have women's football. It is, but the reason why that's happening is the likes of yourself and the media keeping us in there, keeping our faces, keeping the faces of the players, letting people know what goes on. That's the real secret behind the success of the girls. It's because it's being pushed by the likes of yourselves. Final question. With the World Cup, what would you like to see the legacy from the World Cup? The legacy from the World Cup. The fact that we can get there. The fact that we now know what is required to play at that level. Now I know we played Australia here, here and we did very well. Don't underestimate Australia. They were on the back of coming back from the Olympics or something like that. And um, the legacy will be that more girls will be involved with football from grassroots level, where they will know that technical ability is what will make you the better player. And playing on the world stage, what more could you ask? A great piece there with Linda Gorman. Uh, she seems like a lovely lady and definitely the passion for, for the Irish women's national team and for football in general just comes beaming out of her. Oh, I got that from her. I got that from Olivia O'Toole. I got that from Sue Hayden as well. They were just, the passion is just absolutely through the roof. And I think that's what we need. Just on what we were talking about there with the ticket sale, the ticket sale to the World Cup, like the, the last batch of tickets went on sale the other night. And yet again, the Ireland game is gone. There's, there's, there's three Australia games are the only games in the in the World Cup that there's no tickets left for, apart from the, the, the semi-final and final. Like, atmosphere in sydney is going to be is going to be through the roof it's i think it's what 99 days till till that till that game and like it's going to come around very quick and i think realistically we're just really looking forward to, to seeing what's going to happen and we'll have our squad debates over time but looking forward to it and i think linda sort of just emphasized passion of irish football absolutely let's talk about the under 19s for a moment and uh, they were in norway over the last week or so disappointing result against germany five nil defeat but Promising in the other two games in the group. Um, a lot of familiar names to everyone who follows the league here. Players we've seen come through in, in recent years through the underage ranks, breaking into first teams. Um, is that a competition that Ireland can realistically be disappointed to not have qualified for? Or, or have we met that kind of, not quite the last eight, but the last 16 options or last 24? Where are we in that, in your opinion? Problem is, is we didn't get seated. We didn't get seated in the in the first group qualifiers. So we were always destined to grab one of the big, big, big countries. I think getting the result against Norway was brilliant. It was uh, it shows the building blocks. There was a good a good performance, and then to, to go out and back it up to win against Croatia, like a couple of them players now will, will leave underage football. The likes of Emma Doherty won't be available next year. So it'll it'll be a new revolving crew who'll come in and, and all emphasis is really on the the first qualifying phase they they, may, they didn't really have the best one so they they sort of suffered from that and i think 
that just shows the consequences of, of the underage. You have to have a good first qualifying phase, otherwise you, you'll get the Germanys. Unfortunately, at this stage, we're, we're still a good bit short of the likes of the Germanys and the two was the two wins. I think will will definitely do. Will definitely see see the girls happy with that because Norway, the Norway victory in particular, was a was quite a, a big result. Yeah, absolutely. And the goals, of course, coming from uh, Eva Mangan just before half time, Scarlett Heron on 57 minutes, and then two very late goals. Emma Darley, you mentioned already, she got the last one, but Jenna Slattery came on as a sub and scored third in the 87th minute. So Mangan and Heron score, as far as I remember, Mangan and Heron scored in the, in the Norway win as well. So it's good to see, good to see, it's great seeing young National League players on the score sheet at international level. That is correct. Uh, but looking down through the list of players, I think virtually every single one of them. Uh, playing in the League of Ireland, in the League of Ireland, the, the yeah, it is, it's the League of Ireland. What am I talking about? Uh, Jane Mayer, of course, Shamrock Rovers. We haven't seen much of her senior level yet, but uh, it seems to be impressive in the underage ranks. Miss O'Kane, Meg Russell, Kate Thompson, Sophie Moran uh, is the only one probably who's not there. Jamie Thompson, we've talked about her on the show in recent weeks. Scarlett Heron, Emma Doherty, Eve Mangan, Leo Leary, and Eve Dawson, Galway. They're all kind of, they've been on the, the radar for a while. This is an experience from the 19 Irish team. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's one packed with a lot of a lot of quality players. Several players who are playing week in week out in the national league, and interesting enough, though Jamie Thompson didn't play in the last game, so just be interested to see if it was an injury or just a. She what, came what? off. We, we obviously didn't see the game, but she did come off in the second game early early enough. Uh, I have the time here. If I just come away. Collie O'Neill will be hoping that it's not it's nothing serious, especially considering Shamrock Rovers are back into action this week, and I think from a. From the likes of that, it's it's great to see so many so many national league clubs represented, and it's the same even with the with the under 17s Recently, you're seeing more and more clubs being having players there. It's not just the same core of two or three clubs providing the majority of the players. Absolutely, it's a great spread across all of the clubs in the league. Uh, looking at the fixtures, that's the wrong button. Looking at the wrong fixtures. Uh, this weekend's games, of course, plenty of action there. Uh, Shells v Treaty, Dior Waves versus Sligo Rovers, Galway United host Shamrock Rovers, Cork City host Piedmont. Uh, while Wexford Utes will look after at Lone Town uh, down in Ferry Carry Park. All those games, I'm guessing from the time, I haven't actually checked, but I'm guessing that's live on TV. Wexford Utes at Lone Town will be on TG Car with 7.35 kickoff. So uh, plenty of football this weekend for any uh, advocates of the Ladies League. But uh, Shells and, to be fair, deal, well, we talk about on one of the Shells and Piont United. You can expect, based on what we've talked about on the show all season, that to be fairly one-sided. Those two games, or would you? Yeah, no, I'd agree. I'd agree with you on that. I think realistically, on form at the minute, you'd have to expect Wexford to win comfortably as well. Galway and Galway and Shamrock Rovers is the game for me that I'm very, I'm intrigued over, especially considering Galway's recent recent two, two victories. I, I want to see how they can put it up to up to Shamrock Rovers if they can put it up and, and put in a really really good display. If they, even if they don't get something out of the game, it, it'll show that. The recent the recent blip at the start of the season and sort of is behind them and they're going to be a, a decent team in this league this year. Shamrock Rovers, like this Shamrock Rovers, as we said earlier, just tipping away nicely and it's another big test for Collie O'Neill's side and this is this is probably my game of the weekend that I'll be looking for. I, I really want to want to see what happens. Sligo is still pointless in the league table after five games, but they travel to DLR who are struggling this year, coming off the back of the most recent outing of that training of the feet to Bohemians at Delimont. Is it important for DLR that they get something out of this game at the weekend? Yeah, absolutely. I know we say we can't read into it, but when the sides met in pre-season, there was a convincing victory for DLR. You can't read into anything at all. But if DLR want to sort of get out of that mix where we're talking about DLR 
Cork Treaty and Sligo this is the sort of game they have to be winning and they have to be winning comfortably if they do then they can sort of look to what's above them rather than be, t- be talked about in, in below what's below them for Sligo Rovers it's going to be another difficult task it's a long journey up to Dublin and with the way results have gone it's difficult to see them getting anything out of it yeah, interesting times ahead. So your eyes will be on Amadisi Park at five o'clock. Will you get to a game yourself this weekend? I don't know where. Yeah, I will get to. I will get to one. I'm hoping. I'm toying with the idea of DLR Sligo or Shell Street. I don't know yet. Um, I might even get to a bit of boats. I have to see, but I'll definitely get to something this weekend. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm down for covering the, the men's game in Sligo. So unfortunately, can't physically be at the games. But I will ha- have an eye, as usual, across the entire division. Uh, exciting times ahead for all the teams. See who picks up after a little bit of a break, a little bit of a rest, what teams are like after the players come back to them from Ireland representation in recent days. Uh, Aaron, as ever, it's a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. I'm sure uh, to those of you watching along, uh, you've been uh, following along. If you agree with us or disagree with us, let us know. Check us out on social media. Uh, at Final Whistle, i.e. across all platforms for us. And, of course, Aaron, uh, you might as well throw out your own ones there, whether it's your personal ones or the WWE. Uh, li- uh, listen, we, we just want to hear from our Final Whistle. We want to hear people's opinions. doesn't matter where you, fi- where you find us. Just give us your opinions, especially around the squad, because the squad's still for Ireland, because it's going to be an interesting couple of months where pe- people are going to be divided opinions, whether it be media, people who follow the league, everybody's going to have an opinion. I think it's it'll be great to, great to see as many of them opinions as we, as we go forward. Absolutely. Well, listen, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks very much to Aaron for joining me uh, for that interview with Linda for making himself available to speak to Aaron last week when she did. So uh, we'll be back next week with another show. Uh, Enjoy your weekend's football, wherever you happen to be picking it. And we will be back with you again next week. Talk to you.